Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the A to Z Sports Preds NASCast, a.k.a. the podcast that is probably better than the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am your host, Alex Darty, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Link. Today on the show, the Preds go 1-1 one one against the Blue Jackets, um, with the only other two games scheduled this week getting postponed due to extreme weather in Dallas. Uh, so only two games this week to really judge the team off of. They go 1-1. One one. We'll talk about that. The team should be preparing for full sell-off mode. We are going to talk a lot about this today because there are just too many problems with this team to think that they can do anything uh, this year, maybe even next year. So that means a lot of changes could be coming. Uh, we will talk about what those could look like. And then, of course, as usual, it's another game week for the Predators. More frustrating decisions by John Hines, more inconsistency from their offense. Even with Saturday night's big win, um, there's just there's there's some potential huge decisions coming up for this team as they struggle, and there's just more reasons to think that they're not going to continue to do what they did Saturday night, even though Saturday night was a very good game for them. So uh, let's talk about it. How are you doing, Link? What's going on? I'm I'm doing well. I am uh, reeling a bit from last night's game. Uh, it was in so many ways uh, unexpected and unlike what we're become accustomed to this season. Yeah. Uh, it was something like I, I think uh, the goals for, and I, I keep having to adjust it for five on five, but. The five-on-five goal expected goals for for the Predators was like three point two, and if you look uh, at the power play, it goes up to like four point four. Yeah, uh, for the team, and that that matches almost their exact goal output, the four point four, because I think they do have at least one power play. They had one power play goal. They did, yeah. Um, and that's like so so far above any other performance they put in this season. Uh, you you kind of look at that, and if you're a fan, you feel like a little little something in your chest. Like, is this is? Do, do they finally get it? Do they finally have a plan? Are they finally executing? I if you're looking at sample size, no. I mean, this just seems like an outlier. Um, if you only watched last night, if you missed the first 16 games of the Predator season, and you only watched last night, you would think. Man, this team has really turned around. John Hines has this team playing good defensive hockey and pretty good offensive hockey, and there's there's special teams rolling. You would think that this team was like ready to roll, but yeah, you can't I, I discount the first sixteen games. I, I don't know what happened between the first ten minutes of the second Jet Blue Jackets game versus the next fifty minutes. Yeah, because if you look at the Corsi charts, the expected goal charts, you know, those, those things that quantify what we were watching. You know, I was like, this first tennis, I'm like, we're in for a boring slog of a game, just like the last boring slog of a game between the Predators and the Blue Jackets. And at some point after that, that 10 minute mark, I don't know if someone went back to the bench after a shift and said, like, boys, this is like, we can't do this again. This is, this is insanity. 
and said and like came with a new game plan or if john tortorella like said something mean about someone's pet and the blue jackets like checked out or like i, I don't know but like a gear was shifted and like they shifted into a brand new gear coming off it, it just exploded it was yeah. wild i've never seen anything like this from the predators just in the middle of a period well, let's talk about it in reverse order. So let's go ahead and talk about Saturday night since we're already kind of doing that. Uh, the, the Predators won 4-2. to Cali Yarncroak had two goals. Philip Forsberg had his eighth goal of the year. Uh, Colton Sisson scored as well. Um, just to further madden your sense of what Colton Sissons is as a player. Uh, and it was it was a fairly lucky goal. and It was just like a deflection, and he was right there. But, um, but I thought this was their most complete game of the year. I think it's like almost no contest even the first two games against columbus they kind of got outplayed in parts of the game uh they really i mean for like you said large portions of the game were the better team on the ice last night uh they scored a power play goal they went one on one for one on the penalty kill like you said 3.2 expected goals at five on five they had 45 shots on goal when like so many games recently i mean almost the entire month of february it feels like they can't even they can't even give above, get above thirty or even <laughs> twenty five, and they they put up forty five last night. Uh, only two penalty minutes. They had of course a fighting major, um, but on, only two you know in game penalty minutes that result in a power play for the other team. That's really good as well. So and Pecorine looked good. The, everything about it looked looked great. Uh, I, I, the, the, there was just like maybe a couple moments, but I mean it was pretty interesting to see that just like happen. I I don't know that we can expect it in the future, but it was, uh, it was nice to see finally the team um, figure something out, I guess. Uh, And here, my big takeaway is this is more the game. I would, I would have expected the predators to play before the season started, like against the team, like the blue jackets, because when we were doing kind of the preseason setup and everything, the idea was the Predators were going to struggle against the top teams in the division and were going to probably dominate the bad teams. Now, Chicago's been playing better than a lot of people expected. They're performing better. They're, they've got some games in hand um, mm, yeah. against other, other teams. Uh, so that was a bit of a surprise and continues to be. But you expected the Predators to be competitive within the middle of the pack and scrap their way into a playoff spot. And that means looking good or even with teams like Columbus. Uh, So that was more my expectation. Even the game uh, on Thursday where the Predators lost, you know, they, they played, it was a dull game, but it was a pretty even game. It doesn't look like it on the score sheet, but you know, Mm -hmm. the Predators were in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they couldn't figure out how to score. There was just some real weird stuff going two, on during that Columbus very game. Un- unlucky goals, right? Yeah. Incredibly weird goals, yeah. And and you and if that sounds like excuse making, uh go watch the goals because there's no way that that particular shot that the the, the first goal that's the caroms off of a skate, I think, or maybe a stick and then just sort of flutters at this perfect parabola over UC Soros, uh, like there's no the, the shot was defensed perfectly, oh. and Pe- UC Soros was in perfect position. Yeah. It just happened to like flutter in that way. And then the second one, um, I think the first time that I've ever seen this, I think a lot of the first time that a lot of people have seen this, uh, the linesman screening the goalie, uh, they even reviewed it for that. Which I, I guess I had a question: Why did they review it? 
and then and then look at that and then think like, no, I guess it was fine because it's pretty clearly like the linesman interfered with that play. Well, so they were looking to see if the puck went off the line, off of the linesman. Got it. Yeah. Cause I thought it did initially from, from the angle they first showed, I was like that puck deflect off the lines. It turns out it, the linesman screened it, but it deflected, I think off of predators player, yeah. one of yeah. the defensemen. Um, I mean, it's the same thing in, in soccer. If you know, you can't, if you kick the ball and it goes off of the, the uh official like in something significant happens they'll sometimes just blow it dead because like yes it's it's not fair that that Um, is yeah yeah, that is the rule and uh it's it's interesting i don't know that this would be something they could add to the rule book it seems difficult to to figure out a way to word this but how could could they change the rule so if an if a linesman or a referee is inadvertently involved in the scoring of a play, even without touching the puck. It would be very difficult to word. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you'd have to be really precise because it was, I mean, that linesman was in a weird place. Yeah. I kept watching that thinking, why is he there? <laughs> it was very strange. Like, you don't need to be there. You don't ever see that. With a, with a team has possession and then the linesman in the middle of the circle, like that's very strange. Yeah, it was it was very odd. Um, I, you know, I think the Predators were very were, were extremely unlucky in that game. Not that they were de- de- putting out a, a lot of good chances themselves. I mean, I think I put out, I made a posit on Twitter that I kind of expected that game to end like zero one in overtime. Oh, right. Either yeah. way, like that was that game was set up for like a one goal snooze fest because mm-hmm. it wasn't even a good back and forth game. It was just boring. Reminiscent um, of early 2000s Columbus Nashville games. Yeah, except there was all the drama between the teams about like the the Predators constantly dominating Columbus and right. and them calling the you know the the Predators the evil empire and you know all those sort of things. Um, I remember that was back when I was making like little Death Star memes and stuff for for those games um, <laughs> in my my truly memeing days. Hmm, we got to go pull those up. Yeah, uh, I think they may still exist somewhere. I mean, they they were all in on the forecheck, so maybe if there's like some kind of like archaic content management system, I'm sure it's the, the, they're stored somewhere in the common threads. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Uh, the so the Predators split the games against Columbus. Uh, I, like, like I mentioned, they had two games in Dallas that were postponed due to extreme weather in Texas. Um, that was basically a, a massive energy crisis where millions were without, were without power. Uh, almost everyone in that state was dealing with rolling blackouts. It made total sense to reschedule those games, so those will be played later. Uh, it's going to make the, the the schedule the way we already knew it was a condensed schedule. Fifty six games in just a few months, lots of back to backs. It's going to get even more condensed because now you've got these <laughs> games. They had, to, they had to they had to to move the Carolina game, which is coming up, which condenses it more they're gonna have to move these dallas games who knows what could happen there could be more games that are that are postponed the nhl is having games postponed for covid reasons frequently um they've had games postponed because of the sun now that's that's a new thing that happened with the uh, wait they played that did they end up playing that at midnight eastern well midnight eastern right yeah 9 9 p.m local time colorado won colorado won three to two i didn't watch it but I, i just woke up and saw the score so miserable. Um, yeah, so they had to cancel the they had to postpone a game in Lake Tahoe, the outdoors game because of the sun. I will say that's the first time that that's happened and they've done like 30 of these outdoor games. That's pretty good. I mean, like the sun is is actually the kind of the enemy of outdoor games and mm-hmm. uh, for that being the first time that's happened, that's that's 
it's not bad, I guess. Yeah, I think there's there's part of the issue is there's not as much infrastructure surrounding that, and um, it just had so much practice going on. They got two team, four teams playing in the same sheet of ice, you know, within forty eight hours. I mean, there's so many things that go into making that a mess. I think, like anything else, the NHL fell in love with wanting that backdrop to look good, and it doesn't look good at night, so they wanted to have that. So that's so. If they were smart, they would have just said, you know what, the sun is out. Let's postpone the game to midnight or later so that we don't have this issue. But they really wanted to get that TV shot with the mountains in the background. I want to to mention real quick, uh, I do not understand the obsession with the Nordiques jerseys. Like, that logo is horrible. It's horrible. It looks and, like an elephant playing polo. Yeah, it's it's a complete nonsense logo. <laughs> the rest of it is fine, whatever. You know, love your Florida Lee all you want. I mean, we live in Tennessee. There's tons of French stuff, and there's Florida Lees. You find them all the time. Um, it's super common. But, like, I do not understand with the logo. I mean, that team, their logo is of a, of a time and place. Like, there, there are logos in Canada from Canadian teams that are timeless. Like... Mm-hmm. The Canadians, the Leafs, I mean, those are timeless mm-hmm. logos. But like the Nordique logo, that thing would have would have needed to die. Even the Jet Winnipeg Jets logo, you know, you can modernize the original 1.0 Jets. Yeah, like you could have exactly. you could easily modernize that, tweak it. The Nordiques, oh, why do people love that so much? Is it purely nostalgia? I don't know. Like, is it, it, it it's gotta be something, because it is tragic. And I do not understand the obsession with that logo. Some folks were talking about the Columbus Blue Jackets original logo last night on Twitter. Also uh, tragic. <laughs> also very, very bad. It looks like something you'd see at a state fair. Maybe not even a state fair. Maybe just a county fair. Yeah. Maybe not even the good the good. Yeah, fair. well, hey, that reverse retro jersey from Columbus is their best jersey in history, which is saying not a lot. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's talk about this. We, we know what the Predators are at this point. They're 7-10. and 10. They're at the bottom of the Central Division, just barely above uh, Detroit, uh, who is catching up to them. Um, and they have they have almost nothing really going well for them, aside from last night's uh, win over the Blue Jackets. But um, look, the, the team is more than likely, more likely than not, in sell-off mode. The only question is how much of a sell-off mode are they in? Are they Are they in... Let's maybe sell off one of our expiring contracts, like Mikhail Granlund or Nick or uh, um, Eric Halla, or uh, I'm blanking on a few of the others. But Brad Richardson, Brad Brad Richardson, thank you. Uh, Rocco Grimaldi. Uh, I don't know if any of these guys. How much? Of, how many of these guys are even uh, tradable assets? But do, do they do that, or do they go bigger and sell off bigger pieces like Matthias Ekholm? like Dante Fabro, which who has been mentioned, or the nuclear option and selling Philip Forsberg, uh, trying to offload Ryan Johansson, um, Ryan Ellis. I, I, there's a report that he's untouchable, but um, the only one that's technically untouchable is Roman Yossi because he has a no-move clause, which he could even probably waive if he wanted to. So yeah, um, I don't think that they'll sell Pecorine because I think <laughs> they just don't want to do that. Also, who would, I mean... I love Pekka. I he's a, if you don't retire the thirty five, you definitely start a ring of honor of of players who, you know, have some kind of special something in the arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Rene's is the first to go up, um, oh, yeah, hands down. Really. So you can't like there's there's a level of let 
let Rene decide. If he came to David yeah. Poyle and said, you know, is if there's a team that wants me that is bound for the playoffs, like the right team, I will go. But if not, I, like there's no reason for him to even go to a, a contender. He would have to get traded to be the backup for a like sure thing top of the division team, and they're not going to trade for a very expensive backup goaltender. Yeah. So I mean, keep him, let him end his career with with dignity and and as a predator. And I think everyone's going to be happier. Yeah, I, I do. I do wonder if if Rene would even want to do that. I mean, obviously, he's yeah, guy, I don't know if he would. The guy would want to win a, a Stanley Cup, but d- doing trying to make that work. The, the risk of trying to make that work as opposed to just staying in Nashville, ending your career where you've started it, I think would be probably, he would probably lean towards the, the latter rather than the former. So um, I mentioned that, uh, so Elliot Freeman, there was a report last night. He said that um, there are only three names for the Predators that are untouchable, as he says, and that would be Brian Ellis, Pecorine, Roman Yossi, but that everyone else is, quote, available. Uh, he even mentioned guys like Philip Forsberg, Dante Fabro. Now, I don't think that Elliot Friedman has some knowledge that Philip Forsberg is being moved. I think what he's saying is that they would listen on everyone else. Is that they would listen on Dante Fabro. They would listen on Forsberg, maybe Arvidsson, Johansson. They, they probably need to listen on it, on everyone, at least just hear what's what the uh, the options are. But I thought today we would look at some th- three trade assets for the Predators and what they could possibly get um, – and I think the so kind of the key here is, do the Predators want to trade for actual talent that's in the NHL right now that's just younger, like the trade they made for Luke Cunning, like you know, someone someone like who's who's already been in the league that they could say, uh, you know, they've already got, they've already debuted, they've already they're already in the league, but they they're still young and developing, or do they just want to get draft picks and trust them trust their own draft personnel to to go out and get the right talent? So, um. Keeping in mind all of that, I want to start with Matthias Ekholm because he's the the one that has the most uh, talk around him. Um, what is your thought about the Predators trading Matthias Ekholm at this point? Remember, he's got another year on this contract at three point five million, something like that. Um, what what are, what do you think about them trading Matthias Ekholm? What could they get out of him? Uh, what what does this look like for you? Well, I, so I want to addresses the first thing real quick, which is the draft picks are young okay. talent. And the answer to that is yes. Um, well, if so, I've there's been several articles that have come out over the past week. I think you, you know, you were one of them. There's another one on, on, on the four check. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have a rebuild finish and complete within that four year timeline, everyone's talking about as being a successful measure. You can't just go out and get draft picks because you're going to have, the, the Predators' pool of prospects is okay. There's some nice, like Tomasino and and Askarov are like the top two. What you have, like after that, I have to like rack my brain to remember who's there. That's really like dynamic. Yeah. It's- um. So that's what you've got in the pipeline now. If you and this draft is known for being weaker, the one that's happening. Um, I get. I, I'm assuming it's gonna be the 2021 draft. 2021. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I got to remember what year it is. Yeah. Um. The 2021 draft class is, is generally seen as being a, a fairly weak, uninteresting one. So you're going to get maybe some roster players from that, but it's going to take them three, four years to develop. Like, you're, you're drafting for three, four years down the road unless you kind of get a, a unicorn player. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to be getting reasonable prospects who can play hockey. 
because uh, you, know, you can't rely on draft picks. So I think you need to get both. What the Predators should not be doing with trades is getting any asset over the age of like, you know, it depends, but like you want young guys, you want to keep them under like 25, probably um, players who are going to be in their prime are still high, high end contributors by the, t- in, in four years, if you hold on, decide to hold on to them. Um, okay. So that's, that's my thought. Yeah. My thought was like no one over the age of like 20, 22 or 23, even someone, someone drafted within the last four years. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think twenty four is ridiculous. I mean, those guys are are prime. You know, you, they're not, they're, if they're twenty four, twenty five, they're going to be contributors now because the Predators do yeah. need guys to play hockey between now and the finish of the rebuild. Even if they're not guys, you're not planning on like winning Stanley Cups with. Yeah, uh, and and you can't just get a bunch of like contracts and just add them. You know, you you are going to need guys to, to fill the ranks because you're going to be shipping guys out. Um, okay, but to to the point on hand, Eckholm. Um, yeah, obviously the Predators' best tradable asset because of that contract, because of his talent. Um, I I think he's almost been come he's become a little bit undervalued over the past couple seasons because he's had to carry Fabro. Right. Um. I you notice like everyone's like, oh, Ekholm's fallen off. You know, he's not who who he used to be. Well, I mean, he went from Ryan Ellis to being his defensive partner to Dante Fabro. I mean, that's a that's a huge drop. Mm-hmm. You know, Fabro's performances aside. He's not Ryan Ellis. <laughs> right. You know, Ryan Ellis is, is a first-pairing defenseman. I think Eckholm could arguably be a first-pairing defenseman on, on several NHL teams. Mm-hmm. If not, he's an elite second-pairing defenseman on a good contract with, with things on there. So you could easily, the minimum, the, the, the starting position for someone bidding on Eckholm should be a first-round draft pick, and a high quality prospect. Yeah. That is that is should be the opening bid from someone approaching Poyle. I think Poyle exactly. could maybe get more. Um, I think if you add some sweeteners to the deal or you do some negotiation, um, you know, you can maybe throw in an Arvidson to send him to the right team where he could be successful again. Um and you know, get even more from that and, and really have a good haul. Um I loved uh, Pierre Lebrun did a breakdown um, of several possible trades and Eckholm was on that list. And there was the one I loved um, for a couple of reasons, biased ones and analyst reasons was sending him to the flyers. Um, Cause there are some really good opportunities there. You know, he was talking about, you know, taking on um, Goss's bear in return as sort of like a hey, here, here's a serviceable defenseman who needs some work. Who's also overly overpaid. So it helps with the salary because of how constrained teams are. They need to balance that salary aspect out. Um, and, you know, Gosses Bear could do well in Heinz's system. He could use a little redemption. You know, he's he's 27, I think. So a little bit later in his career. But, you know, if, if you're doing that, like, there are some good wingers. Like, you're not going to get a Morgan Frost or one of the top prospects from the pool. Like, one of the top two or three guys. But, like, you've got guys like Bobby Brink and, and, and Tyler Forrester who are still playing um, like junior hockey for Forrester and, and Brink is um, in, in uh, NCAA. Um, would, these are good right wing prospects that are probably like middle six guys top, topping out in the second, second line players, like, but really good prospects. Those are the sort of players I'd like them to target in these trades. Guys who are close to making the jump to the NHL, even though they're not, they haven't proven themselves in the pro level yet. I, the, I I think if if the Predators were to sw- somehow get Shane Gostisbehere out of trading 
I mean, that would be. I I think Shane Gossespierre is a really good player, and I, I think that he he would be uh, long term would be a huge asset for for the team. I, I mean, maybe that's a bit overstated, but I think he's he's definitely a top four defenseman. Uh, if they were to exchange um, exchange that, that would that would be fine. Another team I, I thought about uh, was, uh, and you mentioned uh, Victor Arvidsson. Um, you know, I wondered if I was thinking about where Victor Arvidsson would have success. We're probably Peter, thinking about Peter Laviolette. Peter Laviolette going to Washington. So I, I think, or maybe even if there was some sort of a deal where they got at Cole and Arvidsson headed to Washington. Washington has plenty of picks to deal out. They've got mm-hmm. prospects. Uh, they have a, a guy named Connor McMichael who was a draft pick from a couple of years ago. Who uh, I thought the Predators would be. I think he's. I think he's pretty good. He's not Connor McDavid. He's Connor McMichael. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that they should get that guy. But I was just there. There's. Uh, I don't know everything about all the prospects in the league, but I know a few names, and I know. Oh, they also have Lucas Johansson, Ryan's younger <laughs> brother. Uh, that'll probably happen. It's like all these. Uh... <laughs> players names who are almost like he's almost the good one but not the good one you know exactly exactly so uh anyways it's, like, no, it's not it's not it, it's a different koivu oh I could, see, I could see you know uh washington saying like you know this co our coach has uh su- definite success and a good track record of making uh victor arvidsson a third goal scorer and uh we could we could make that happen uh, I don't know that that'll happen. I, I, do, I do think that if if, if Matthias Ekholm is traded, I agree with your value. First round pick and a prospect. That's If they don't even start with that, you don't even talk to them, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's the deal. Because and it has to be a decent prospect. It has to be a worthwhile prospect. It can't exactly. just be like, oh, you know, this guy's been putting, he put up 10 goals in the AHL last year. We really think he's going to step up? No, no. Yeah. Um, and because you have to consider his cap hit is low. He's signed through next year, so it's not just a rental. Um, that's that's all uh, things in favor for the buying team. Yeah. Um, another name is uh, one we've seen frequently and tied with one other particular team in Canada would be Mikhail Granlund. So the way I think about Mikhail Granlund in this is, you know, so obviously this guy tested the free agent market. His value was not there for other teams. He eventually signs in Nashville for three and a half million or three point seven five or whatever it was, um, for one year. Uh, probably coming here just because it's familiar, and he probably knew uh, if I could just pump my, <laughs> maybe if I could pump my value up a little bit, I can get uh, I can get traded somewhere. I don't know what the guy was thinking, but perhaps I perhaps he knew going into this that obviously he signed a one year deal. Nashville would not be a permanent location for him, so. You don't feel like it's gonna. Uh, you feel like you're probably in a good position from Nashville, knowing that this this player is is amped to be traded and could go somewhere, and you could probably get something out of him. the The other thing about Granlin to me is he is a guy I think that other teams know Nashville is not utilizing correctly, or at least not he's not he's not producing in Nashville like he could. Um, so it's like you know we can get more out of this guy than Nashville does. Um, and so they're probably going to jump at a chance to do that. Um, the, the team that he's been linked to is Toronto. Uh, that's been from for a while now he's been linked to Toronto. I think that would be a, a, an ideal situation for the predators because they could probably really hold Toronto's feet to the fire because they're under cap situation. They're going to have to, they're going to have to um, give up a player that's probably cheap that they can squeeze Mikhail Granlin in and Toronto has draft picks to deal as well. So 
Um, I think that would be a, an ideal situation. I also don't think that it's really going to hurt you. I mean, it's a sale, obviously, for the Predators, but you know, long term, like Macau Granlin's not really part of. It's pretty clear he's not really a part of the 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 team roster construction going forward, right? Yeah, I. I think this is the it was a contract of convenience for Brandlin and the Predators. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it, he, finding him a permanent, longer term home somewhere's gonna be happier. And I mean, Toronto is just waiting for a guy like Brandlin to come in, a guy who can play top six minutes, play with you know the Matthews and um, the the elite and like Tavares and and right, Nylander and stuff and Marner. I mean, there's so much talent there, and they just need some more. They yeah. need some non depth guys who can play those minutes. Yeah, the, um, the, right now the Toronto's playing Alex Alexander Kerfoot, who's a decent player, but he's getting top six minutes playing with like Matthews and John Tavares and stuff. If, uh, if Granlund is in that role, he's probably uh, twice the player that Kerfoot is. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, and there's there's some challenges there because you're right. There is some cap, there are cap issues with a lot of teams, especially a team like Toronto, um, who may even feel like they don't need. It. I mean, they're so dominant in in that area in the uh, Canadian division that maybe they feel like they don't need him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, that's that would be an interesting deal because when I was thinking about Granlin being moved, I'm like, okay, what are different scenarios? Just not thinking about teams, but thinking about assets in return. So, like, if you're going for players, for Granlund, you're probably going to get, like, you know, you're basically maybe a middle six guy for a middle six guy or for a top six guy. Because it, it's hard to evaluate Granlund or value him. Um, so you're going to get, like, you know, a good utility player, like an NHL starter and some meh draft picks, like some mid-round draft picks, maybe no higher than a third, yeah. probably fourth through sixth or whatever. Um if you're just going for picks, you may be able to find the right team and force their hand on a first round pick. But I think teams might would be really hesitant. I mean, David Poyle would give a first round pick to Mikhail Granlund if this were 2012. Um, yeah. But I think I don't think a lot of teams would now. But you could if you found the right partner, they might give up a first. Um, but when you bring in Toronto, I think that's interesting because they have something like let me. I think I yeah they've got like thirty thousand in projected space. Their their long term injury. It opens up like another 1.8 million. Like they have, they have nothing to play with right now. They would have to offer. Um, yeah, they would have to send salary back to Nashville. I don't know who they would give up. Um, if there's like an overpaid defenseman, uh, I think that's how, that's how they'd probably get a first down of it. Is is we'll give you Granlund. We'll cover all of his contract and give us a first round pick. Yeah. I mean, the the problem, the problem is that like you look at the list and you say, who, who can exactly the Leafs afford to give up that the Predators take in return to make the salary work. And then you're looking at guys like, uh, Carefoot, who you called out, like, cause that would actually help them balance it. Um, and then you have to look at the defense and say, okay, well, you're going to have to probably move one of Brody Morgan or Muzzin to make the space work. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know if the any any Leafs fans would be terribly happy about because now you're you know you're down one of your defensemen, one of your big paid defensemen. Um, yeah, I mean this team is in trouble because they're paying three guys. They've got like what eleven million, eleven million, ten million for their three three players. Like 
they are really in rough shape um, when it comes to the cap, and I don't know how they they manage the rest of their roster. Well, maybe the Predators can figure out a way to get uh, William Nylander off their hands. Um, I mean, that would be wild, wouldn't it? A guy that has been someone that a lot of Preds fans have wanted for a while. I doubt that. Yeah, an elite player who is heavily maligned by much of the Toronto media for no good reason. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, So... uh, one other play that's been mentioned recently, I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much about him. Would be Nick Cousins. Uh, Nick Cousins. I don't know exactly what his value would be if if Mikhail Granlin, in, in your mind, is only getting a mid round pick. Nick Cousins probably not getting much at all. Uh, well, I mean, you look at his his last trade. I think he was traded for a fourth round draft pick. Okay, all right. Um, so you're probably looking at a fourth round fourth round draft, draft pick. So I I, I think that in that situation, that's that's more like you know. I don't think that they just make one move here. He would probably be part of several well, different moves, and they they trade him to get to recoup some some draft money or, or not draft money, but draft picks or some some money here or there. Well, um, any player who's in either like a regular kind of rider in the taxi squad or a bottom six guy, you you take any you listen to any offer. You know, I think Cousins, Richardson, Howla. Uh, I mean, those guys should, you know, they can always move for lower round picks and just, just, I mean, if you're going to go, if you're going to have to rebuild, just draft everyone who breathes, you know, you, you never know when you're going to get lucky, use your scouts, try and find the diamonds in the rough, the guys who haven't been, been properly evaluated yet. Uh, the guys who maybe haven't grown into their frames yet. You know, they're, they're the under the radar players. So be, the more picks you have, the more darts you throw at the board. So, you know, move everything that's on a decent contract that you can move, even if you're picking up a six-round conditional pick from Anaheim. Like, who cares? Um, so let's talk about Dante Fabro, because um, this this is a guy that... Uh, it, it's so weird for me to hear people say... Pe- people For people to seem like... C- to clutch their pearls that, like, the Predators could trade Dante Fabro seems very strange to me. Because as you and I have talked about a lot, Dante Fabro has not impressed... Uh, so far in his career, Dante Fabro looks uh, not anything like what they expected him to be. He's d- not developing at, at the rate that they probably need him to. Maybe that's unfair. May, uh, you know, maybe it's unfair to, to call it to to say that because he's he's a, still a young guy. He's still he's not exactly you know he's he's not exactly in the best situation because he's having to do quite a lot at only twenty two years old. But the guy just doesn't seem to be headed in the right direction in terms of like where his game is going. He still makes so many mistakes in the defensive end of the game and not enough positive plays to outweigh those. Um, so I, I, if they were to trade Dante Fabro, well, for, first of all, I should say this. I don't think they'll trade both Dante Fabro and Matias Ekholm. They're going to keep one of them because they want if they want to... For the Seattle expansion, they're going to want to go with the 7-3 route, which means they'll keep three defensemen worth keeping. Uh, if they trade Ekholm, obviously Fabro is going to be that third. If they keep, if they trade Fabro, they'll keep Ekholm as that third. Can, can someone explain to me why? So Dante Fabro, to me, looks like maybe a third-pairing anchor guy, maybe. Why are you protecting him? Why did, Everyone seems yeah. to default... Like, I mean, I don't mean, like, just fans or, or people, like, who aren't paying attention to me. Everyone just seems like, yeah, yeah Fabro would be one of the day. We'll protect Fabro. I mean, why, why wouldn't you protect? No, why would you protect Fabro? Like, 
what what is the reason? Is it like his mediocre defensive numbers with his consistent mental mistakes? Is it his like one good pass every ten games? Like his one really like cutting incisive pass to set up a, a scoring chance? Like um, what is what is compelling people to say nope. that Fabro is the answer? Now, if if people if I'm like misvaluing him. And or undervaluing him, or if if the greater hockey world values Dante Fabro like this, trade him as fast as you can and reap all the benefits. Could he go to a different team and turn into the player that we all hoped he would be? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it, you could go there and make me look stupid, and great, good for both teams, I guess, because now the Predators got a really good return, the other team got a good team. Um, but I just don't, I don't see it in his... In his it, he did not. He has not developed from last season at all. He's the same player. Yeah, I, I, you'll you'll appreciate this. I uh, I saw on Twitter. I can't remember who said this, but someone referred to him as Dante Blumbro, as in Jonathan Blum. Oh, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, and obviously, the reference being Jonathan Blum, this sort of young, uh, highly touted, at least among. Preds fans, defensemen who just never worked out, and for some reason people still thought had all this trade value, uh, who really just wasn't very good. No, I, um, and I think that's probably unfair. I think John, I think Dante Faber is better than Jonathan Blum ever was. But yeah, uh, but it it does make you think like uh, the pre- Predators as an organization have always been really good at, at at first of all at drafting and developing defensemen, but also at valuing them cr- properly um, for the most part and. You know, are they doing are they doing that with Dante Fabro? I I think that maybe. I think by the time this kid is twenty four, which is like two years away, uh, he is going to max out at whatever he is, and you want to try to maximize the value out of what he is right now, knowing that by the time this kid is twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, he's not going to be, if he if he's not you know your your top four defenseman. If like you said, he's a third bottom pairing defenseman. You are going to really regret not having gotten, you know, a, a first round pick out of him, or or even just even just a second yeah. round pick out of him. Like you're going to yeah. regret that. I mean, this is this is a guy who's like right hovering around replacement level. If you use if you use like any of the replacement level statistics, he's just hovering right around zero. Um, which means that he's got a play. He probably has a place in the NHL. I think he's an NHL caliber defenseman. Yeah, he's just not a. He's just not a second. Like he can fill in, but he's not. It's just not his role. He doesn't. Right. He can't bring it both ways. He just can't seem to play defense and the offensive game at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then I guess we have to talk about this because there's. I don't think this is going to happen. But if it does, get ready for it. The, the nuclear option of trading Philip Forsberg. Um, Philip Forsberg is the only player on the offense that you can, can count on every single night to produce quality shots on goal, to produce points on the board, uh, to put, put a scare in the opposing team at all. Like, I mean, every team knows that number nine is the guy that they have to worry about because he can do things that no one else can do. Um at least as far as the forwards, Roman Yossi would be the only other player for the Predators. So, and, and a six million dollar cap hit for that kind of talent is crazy low. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. And he signed through uh, another year beyond this one. Um, 
this would be like I said, this is a nuclear option. This is you only do this if the bottom completely falls out. You have nothing going for you. You are headed for a lottery pick, and you need to get something out of out of this uh, out of this out of this team that you are. You know, otherwise, you're just sitting with nothing. Um, I think obviously Philip Forsberg would get multiple first round picks and or good good prospects in return. Um, do you think this is going to happen? Are they going to trade Philip Forsberg? I, I that would be. Yeah, I, when you say nuclear option, I, I find that to be as as literal as a turn of phrase can be, uh, if, if that makes any sense. Because yeah. you are you know the fan base is going to riot. Even the ones who are in favor of rebuild are yeah. still gonna it's gonna hammer them. Because um, you know I think back to when they traded uh, for Subban. And moved Weber, and what a big deal that was. Yeah, and you had people who were very upset about it. You had people who were very excited about it. I mean, I still remember I was I was actually in an airport in DC when I just checked the news. When I was sitting in the terminal waiting to head home from a from business trip, and like, <laughs> what what's happening? Um, yeah, I mean that would be that would be massive. Uh, and and yeah, when you're talking prospects, like y- you have to be getting back sure thing top talent and you are it's 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 sort of like what washington thought they were doing when they traded for martin erat except reality Mm -hmm. because you know washington thought they were getting a veteran piece who was going to make the team gel into what they needed to win the stanley cup and they were willing to give up a with, well, what everyone but Washington seemed to see was a surefire player in, in Philip Forsberg, like a guy who's going to be a quality NHL. And now he's better than, I think, a lot of teams are projecting, but it was still a steal. Like, everyone thought it was a steal at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But this this would sort of be um, the same thing, except this time Forsberg is actually, you know, a real asset. So, um, you know, this, this, would, this would have to be even bigger of a return than what Nashville got for Martin Erat, which is a weird parallel to draw, but I, I, because there was some misvaluation on, on the part of McPhee, but it's the same, same in principle. The, the other problem with, with valuing this kind of thing would be that this just doesn't happen very often where a top flight, uh, elite level forward in his prime gets traded, uh, in, especially in the middle of a season or really at all. It just doesn't happen very often. The best comparison I, that I would have would be the Mark Stone trade that where mm. Ottawa sent Mark Stone to Vegas, and I just pulled that up. They they got so Ottawa, Ottawa didn't get probably as much as people thought. They got a second round pick, and they got a really good defensive player, Eric Brandstrom, who's on their team now, who plays, who's, who's very good, and they got another forward as well. So, uh, and that was, but that was a little bit different because Mark Stone was was like basically just on the way. Like they were not going to resign Mark Stone, uh, Vegas was willing to Vegas had a lot of, you know, pieces to move. Uh, they just have collected all kinds of trade assets. So I think even if, even that would be low, I think if, I think if, if they traded Philip Forsberg tomorrow for a second round pick and a defenseman that could play right now, you'd feel like they, they lost that trade. Yeah. Well, I mean, you trade uh what can, can, or can, or does this go the way of uh, Adam Larson for Taylor Hall? One, one for one straight oh, up. God. Can yeah, can, that, can, that Poyle make, can Poyle make that happen? That's a good example. Yeah, that, that it, if that um, happens, exa- yeah, <laughs> right. these things can go badly. Yeah. Uh. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't think that they'll trade Philip Forsberg. I think he, it, 
if I, uh, now I don't know what's going to happen after his contract, current contract is up. I know that he, you know, he, he lives here. Obviously he has a house here. He's got, a, a, he's, this is, this is where his career has gone. Um, he seems happy here, but um, I, you never, you never know, but that that's kind of a ways away. I, I don't think they'll trade Phil Forsberg, but I do think that one of the other names we've talked about, Granlund, Ekholm, Fabro, maybe cousins, Richardson, one of those guys is going to go. I think that they're going to see what they can see what they can get out of those players um, in the next uh, few weeks. I think the trade deadline is in April or something. It's like April tenth, maybe. It, it comes up tenth, fifteenth, something, something like that. Very weird time for the trade deadline, but obviously, press you know because of the schedule necessary. Um, all right, so uh, that does it for today. We've got a lot of uh, – uh, there's four games coming up next week. The Predators uh, begin a six-game road trip. I'm sorry. No, that's not right. They begin a – they have four games next week. They go to Detroit. Uh, sorry, that was from last week. <laughs> wow, I need to update that. Um, Tuesday, they play Detroit. Thursday, they play Detroit in Detroit. And then they have two more games against the Columbus Blue Jackets next Saturday and Sunday. Those are two o'clock starts in Nashville. So first look at some matinee hockey. Love it. Love, yeah. love some matinee hockey in the weekends. Back to back too. That's pretty fun. Uh, well, you can't, yeah, I, I think that's phenomenal. Great decision. Yeah. So uh, there we go. We got the, the Preds have four games. Um, these are the games that they need to win, right? The, these are huge. Yeah. yeah I, I don't want to, these are s- such important games because I fully believe the Predators have the ability with all the, misery that we've talked about the last several weeks they can win all four of these i have no doubt in my mind that the predators can win all four of these if they can get out there and they can find ways to create good chances like they did last night and these are these are teams that have vulnerabilities these are teams that struggle to score um mm-hmm. i it, this could be an eight point swing for nashville yeah um and that would that would thrust them back into the conversation Instantly. Or, or this will completely bury them. <laughs> <laughs> you could say it's a defining moment, Alex. Yeah, exactly. It's a defining moment. If they, if they get like, if they lose three of these games, they are basically buried, and they need to start to sell off like as soon as soon as yeah. possible. If they can, if uh, they, if they have a strong week, all of a sudden yeah. they're backscrapping with Dallas because Dallas has like five games behind because of all the issues. Right. Um, you know, they can they can start fighting with the other teams. Now, Carolina and Florida have been impressive. Can we say they've been impressive compared to what people were, were expecting, yeah, at least from, from Florida? Florida? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that top of the division is still scary, but the Predators are back in the fight, which would be exciting. Um, all uh, we can do is wait and see. The only thing I was going to add about, I just remembered this, uh, that I was going to mention this, is uh, about the trade. So the trade deadline is not till April, but you have to keep in mind, uh, if the Predators were to trade with a Canadian team, there is a what two week minimum uh, quarantine period. Yeah, something they... between ten and fourteen days. I, I yeah. don't remember the exact so, number. Yeah. So um, this week might actually be the, rec- the 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 week of reckoning. If if they go oh you know, one and three or zero oh and four against these teams, they have to start selling off because those teams are going to come calling. Those the the, the Toronto's, the Edmontons. Montreal, whoever in Canada, it wants to get Mikhail Granlund or Ekholm. Yeah, they're going to want them now because they're not going to get them until mid March or even late March. They're going to want to start those process, start that process now, not in April where they might only get them for the playoffs. So you have to think that, keep that in mind as well. Um, 
Uh, all right, so you can check out all of our hockey coverage at a to z sports at Asheville.com. You can follow me on Twitter at AlexDarty1. Follow Link on Twitter at 3D Link. Do you have any final thoughts this week? Oh, man, I, I next week this time, I will be having a puppy. So I'm mostly just thinking about go. puppy stuff. Yeah, puppy is, is next Saturday. So we're going to have a special guest officially coming in be real exciting we may have to switch to we may have at some point switches to a video podcast so everyone can see the puppy but yeah there's gonna be a lot of puppy photos coming through on on twitter Excellent. can't wait for it that'll be fun uh all, my only final thought was i watched the columbus blue jackets broadcast last night and uh, i don't know if you saw this but the the play-by-play commentator for the columbus uh blue jackets was saying for fox sports columbus i guess i should say um was referring to Victor Arvidsson as Victor Arvidsson, Arvidsson, A-R-V-E-R-D-S-S-O-N, for most of the broadcast. But the maddening thing is that he was going back and forth between Arvidsson and Arvidsson. It was the most frustrating thing to listen to, especially because Arvidsson was very active last night, so he was saying that name a lot. And uh, I only my, here's my thing, here's my, and here's my final thought. I don't care if you're wrong as long as you're consistent. Please don't drive me crazy by going back and forth between the wrong way to pronounce it and the right way to pronounce it. If you I, want to pronounce it wrong, at least say it wrong every time. Yeah, I wonder um, I wonder if it's uh, because of it's an accent thing because you have the uh, Northern City vowel shift that's happening in that strip from like Rochester, New York all the way like through... Um, I think it even goes past Wisconsin. Um, and I think Ohio, parts of Ohio may be swept up in that. I don't know where the, their play-by-play guy is from, but that may be affecting how he's like, he he's working the actual pronunciation versus his act, how he, how his accent wants to come out with a vowel shift. Um, that could be true. I, yeah, I don't I wonder. think I heard any of those vowel shifts in any other names though. And then the fact that okay. I, 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 I tried to give the guy some, some, some leeway. I wasn't like trying to, get the guy fired or anything but like it just I, th- I think i think it was it was so frustrating to listen to because of the going back and forth and then like there was a series of where he said it three times arvidson and then one time arvidson and then went back to arvidson it was like i, I was going crazy uh, as someone who's who, who literally who would sit in front who would go in front of a mirror and say borvievsky borvievsky <laughs> I, you know, I, I, it, there are, you know, some people struggle with certain things. As someone who struggles with names, I kind of empathize to a degree, because I, I just will screw them up sometimes, even if I've said them a dozen, you know, two dozen, three dozen, four dozen times. Cool. Yeah, I understand that. All right, so uh, that's it. That's my final thought: is uh, be consistent. Even that's it. The show's over. Everyone, go home. That's right. We're done. <laughs> All right. See everyone next week. Oh.